Alright, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We got the NIA boys in the place. We got Jack Butcher, founder of Visualized Value, me, Master Flex, Trunk Fan, and I'm Bilal Zaidi. Um, boys, it's a big, big week, lots going on. Today we're gonna talk about Facebook rebranding to Meta. We're gonna talk about what that means, how crazy it is that they're changing out after 20 years of using their name. Uh, we're going to talk about inflation because Jack Dorsey had, had talked about hyperinflation. So we're going to discuss what inflation is, what's causing it, uh, and how likely hyperinflation is and some takes on that. Uh, Trung's going to have a fun fact fan and break down Formula One in America and how it got so big here. And lastly, we'll talk about NFTs and real estate and ownership with NFTs. So let's kick it off, boys. What's going on with this meta stuff? Because I know Trung, you, you said it was going to be smoking meats time. Uh, you've been making this joke <laughs> for a few weeks and we weren't too far off. Like, how well, are you feeling about it? So last Thursday we recorded when the rumor came out that it was going to rename to Meta. And people are actually listening to that right now, getting some comments about that. Uh, the joke that we all kind of shared was uh, just what is it going to rename the company to? And obviously Zuck loves smoking meats. And uh, I did this uh, meme of like all the Facebook logos through the years. And it was like, it kept on changing and looking more modern. And then the most recent one, I just put Baby Ray's, Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce. And uh, that, that had a good kick to it. But it turns out, so Zuck just did the Facebook Connect Prezzo. Did you guys watch it? The live presentation or any no, of not it? Yeah. And he just did a presentation. It's kind of weird. It's like, just like, it was, he was like Neo in the Matrix going through these different worlds. Like he was showing people like in his backyard, he was like fencing. And then he was showing people like he was in an office, like work, like all virtual, right? And then showing people he was on, on the on the beach surfing. Like, like really, like he was basically in the Matrix or like data on the holodeck in Star Trek. But the one that got me was, there's this, uh, he, he started the presentation in his home. And in the background, he had a bookshelf. And on the bookshelf was a bottle of Sweet Baby Ray's, a total Easter egg. And I'm like, yo, is that for real? I threw it on Twitter. And then at, uh, Adam Morrissey, the head of Instagram, actually sent a wink emoji, uh, replied to my tweet. So he's like, That's confirm hilarious. the Easter egg. But anyways, man, so uh, the TLDR, Facebook has changed its name to Meta uh, in reference to the Metaverse, obviously. Um, uh, before today, uh, on their earnings call two days ago, they actually made two really big announcements. Number one is that Facebook's earnings this year will be reduced, our operating profits will be reduced by $10 billion because they're investing that much into quote-unquote hardware, VR, and the metaverse. So, and uh, actually the stock market response is like, yeah, whatever. Uh, they, Zuckerberg is still the only founder-led of the, the FANG company. So they're like kind of giving him credit, which we'll talk about later. And the other part of it was that they're spinning out uh, the uh, Facebook Reality Labs, which is the AR, VR department, does the hardware. And they're turning that into this own reporting segment. And uh, the reason they're obviously doing that is because this is going to be you know, they're driving the entire focus. They want investors to think about it. They want competitors. They want suppliers. They want consumers to think about them. Hey, listen, this is the future that we're moving towards. And we talked about last week. It's all because he wants to own a platform. He does not want to have what happened to him with uh, the iPhone uh, to happen again on the next computing platform. He's obviously made a massive bet on VR. They own Oculus. Uh, they, they're by far the leader in the space. Whether or not that becomes the next competing platform, we'll find out. But that's the bet he's making. And that is what this unveiling, which we kind of guessed up last week was happening. But I had a question for Jack. Jack, you're the branding expert here, okay? And you think very long and hard about these things. You're throwing away the Facebook name. What do you think about that? 
I was thinking about it just since we brought it up before we started recording. And the, the Facebook product is still going to be called Facebook, right? Yeah. And I think adoption curve wise, like if you haven't heard of Facebook or you don't use Facebook at this point, then you're probably, you know, never gonna use it. You're never gonna use it. So it's like maybe the meat the saturation of the Facebook meme is is at its peak. Uh, and maybe even declining. So now if you think about like the the metaverse meme is like hitting this exponential phase and like CNBC, what the what's the metaverse? Wall Street Journal, what's the metaverse? Fortune magazine, enter the metaverse, all of this stuff. It's kind of, I, I mean, it feels like an intelligent way to sort of hijack the momentum of this meme and get like a enormous amount of capital, like a way to get exposure in inverted commas, because you know, nobody knows what the metaverse is or there's no single like it's like saying betting on the internet right it's a this term that is maybe it's even less defined than the internet because it could be kind of anything is this all-encompassing buzzword for the next phase of human interaction on the internet but it feels to me like they they have a significant advantage in sort of hijacking that term because there's a lot of institutional and retail capital that will just be like, oh, metaverse, that's Facebook. Yeah, that's a great point, man. And it's, it's already seeded. And obviously, like, the guy's not an idiot. And there's a lot of people working there that are extremely smart. And they're probably seeing this, like, groundswell of attention that's like when social media was the buzzword and you know on at cnbc it's like new social media platform nobody even talks about social media anymore because it's like the fabric of yeah. society at this it's point like the, so it's it doesn't create any it's like the momentum. internet it's like saying the internet now right exactly yeah it's yeah. like you don't you don't reference it as like this phenomenon but the metaverse you do and vr didn't have that virtual reality is like maybe it's just like not as appealing of a term or you think of the hardware or something and it just doesn't feel like I mean, it just wasn't a good meme. Let's be realistic. It's like you look like a, a tit when you got that thing <laughs> on your face. But the metaverse is like a bigger idea that you can you you can be involved in whether or not you choose to like strap that thing on your face or use the platform or play the game or buy the object. So it feels like a smart hijack of a trend that is like established enough that now they've you know they've hijacked the trend and now they're gonna be the accelerant of the thing they hijacked. I, uh, after listening to you, Jack, I, I totally buy it. it. I think it's freaking genius, man. Even if it doesn't play out, let's say it doesn't work. They've completely, right. They've completely hijacked it. We are in such a bubble, like the three of us in this Twitter bubble of like uh, uh, tech Twitter. But like, as you mentioned, and not even the people that aren't on Facebook, let's say 90% of people on Facebook, they're going to have no idea what the, met- I couldn't tell you what the metaverse is. I have Dude, no idea I'm, what the metaverse I'm is, I'm right? speaking to my friend who works at Facebook and he's like, <laughs> I don't believe in the metaverse. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, this is before we were making fun. And he was like, I live in the real world. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, as all you're right, messaging man. me on your phone. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, but this, I mean, Bilal, you nailed it, right? Like even the people at Facebook probably don't even know what the metaverse is. So these guys have totally jacked this term. I guess the, the downside would be like, you're putting all your chips onto this term, which might just fizzle, right? It'd be like if, uh, yeah, I mean, essentially the equivalent is if Microsoft had basically renamed itself the browser in the mid nineties, right? MS-DOS. Yeah, MS-DOS. <laughs> MS-DOS Inc. Or you know what? It maybe is uh, like the World Wide Web is a better, like is more analogous to it. Like, is it, because it is this thing that's like, 
a buzzword that encapsulates everything so many different verticals and nobody has a definition for it it's like yeah you could use that descriptor of the metaverse i mean wasn't it from a novel or something wasn't it from, yeah, from uh, neil Snow stevenson Crash? yeah from neil stevenson yeah so just real quick because there's some people listening to this who are like what the hell is the metaverse so like I know you mentioned okay, but all well, these you different tell things. Us what's about, no, what's I'm the reading the definition right now on okay, Google, tell which us. is a virtual reality space in which users can interact with a computer-generated environment and other users. The way I've always thought metaverse when it's been talked about is like these virtual worlds that and like that could mean these gaming virtual worlds, or it could be to me like social media in a way is kind of a virtual world. I'm posting pictures that are captured from the real physical world, and they're like ones and zeros on a screen. You know, like, so to me, that was already kind of a manifestation of taking what's in the real world and turning it into digital stuff. Now, when we talk about metaverse, I think more of like the virtual worlds where there's actually property and maybe there's, we're replicating stuff that exists in the real world that isn't currently in the digital world, like property rights and financial assets and like things of value. Which well, let's take something tangible, right? Yeah, the, go on. So very tangible examples. Roblox is mm. similar to what a metaverse yeah. would be, right? You're living, there's an economy there. You're spending most of your day there, whether you're building, you're playing, interacting with people. Fortnite is, people often call Epic, the real metaverse company, right? Fortnite is tens of millions of people congregating in this digital space. I mean, right now it's just like them on their phones and keyboards, but in five, 10 years, you're going to be using the VR headsets, right? Or you're going to have like, some even Fortnite. Just like you just said there, like didn't Travis Scott or someone do yeah, like a crazy concert? Yeah, they got concerts there, exactly. That is like, and it was actually like a new experience. It wasn't just trying to replicate what already exists in the physical world and putting it in the digital world. So yeah, that's kind of how I thought of it. Was there, what, what do you guys think of when you, when you think of that phrase though? I think of it as a marketing term. Like I think people are just hijacking it as a marketing thing. So like, yeah, there's <laughs> loads of new stuff, right? Loads of new valuable stuff's going to come out of this, but... Like you said, I played Doom on the freaking computers at Classic. my school in 1995 <laughs> or whenever that was. And uh, that was a metaverse. Like the only difference with a VR headset is you just slam the screen right, right up in right, front right. of your face. Like all of this stuff is like packaging, in my opinion. And, and unless you're talking about like a fundamentally different, like I think people who live and breathe crypto and decentralization would use the metaverse as an encapsulating term for like this independent digital world that we're building outside of you know corporatized internet but most of it runs on aws you get it through your at&t connection and you plug yeah. in your apple laptop to look at it it's like there's a lot of romanticism around it and i'm all for it i think the crazy thing about it is it can because it's so like the power laws of the internet if you have the level of like distribution and access that Facebook does, it's like you can decide to become a thing. And I don't know. I don't think we talked about in this last episode, a lot of it has to do with like who you can get to work there and what you can get them to build, you know, like you can change names and like position yourself a certain way, but the, the adoption curve is going to be driven by building things that people want to spend their time and attention on. And I think Facebook is currently losing that battle, right? Like at a macro level, there are platforms yeah. growing faster than Facebook TikTok, and there's attention being spent in different places. Exactly. Like, and I don't know if like, I'm not a 15 year old, but like I look at that, like Mark Zuckerberg thing in a conference room and I'm like, does like, 
a kid in the middle of America, like, do they aspire to be doing that? Like, do they want to do that? I don't really know yeah. if they do. Well, let's talk That's through, I mean, point. let's talk about his vision, right? Like what, this is what I saw in this presentation again, just from the beginning. And you touched on it, Jack, it's him in this literally virtual conference room, right? With a virtual desk, having virtual conversations. And it's literally what we're just doing now. It just with a headset on in this shared space. I'm sure they'll figure out some of the haptic stuff. that will make it feel like you're more in the space with people. I mean, the, and I think all, I mean, both of you have basically said it more or less. It's like, I mean, we we're on in the metaverse, right? Like I spent all day on my phone. I spent all day in, in digital environments. It's just how much better will that look? How many more senses will be brought to bear to that? Are you going to wear gloves? Are you going to wear glasses? Like how much more quote unquote real will it get? So I, I right, think trunks, that's sucks trunks. vision. No, I definitely, no, that's, <laughs> um, no, I completely agree, man. Well, the one question I have for you guys is, I think Jack, you just brought up something which made me think about it for a split second, which is kind of like what has Facebook done in terms of like inventing stuff in recent times, right? Like if you think of, you know, they're executing at a crazy scale. Like I, I think they've been incredible in that way. But back in the day, they brought the news feed, right? And that was a huge innovation in the way we take uh, in information. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the original Facebook was crazy with all the photo, you know, unlimited photos and all that stuff. Um, but if you think of the last few big iterations, even with Instagram, their biggest stuff has been stories, which came from Snapchat, Reels, which is their new thing, which has been it, yeah. growing, which they've taken basically from TikTok. Um, and again, I don't know every single part of Facebook here, but to me, it feels like they've been really good at like copying other people and and uh, doing that at the right time. Like I think the way they did with stories was pretty incredible. But now you're you're saying like, okay, no, we're gonna take people into this next phase, and uh, maybe they they do have the time for it. Who knows? But I I'm not sure. Like I think the I think the brand that you just said there is really um, like I think that's quite a key point because this isn't just like oh here's utility this is something to do with call like that's why store that's why snapchat could even exist in the beginning because it wasn't just about the best product is like the one that's best coded or whatever it was like something completely new and it was like stories when i first went into snapchat i was i was like 20 something years old and i was so confused i was like how the hell did you use this app i've never used like, snapchat i've never oh used my it. god Dude, I have no it's hard idea. man I, I remember the only time it clocked for me is I had to read a Mark Suster blog post, uh, you know, the the investor, and he explained like all these things. And I, I felt like such a boomer. But I eventually was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah, it goes away, whatever. Because in the beginning, you just know you're scratching the surface. So you're like, oh, people are sending dick pics that get, you know, that disappear in 20 seconds, right? That's probably uh, what it's being used for. And then you realize, oh, no, people are creating you can share so much more in a story than you would in a regular feed post, right? Which now, if you go on my Instagram, I haven't posted for like over a year or something, but I might post a story all the time. So I'm just saying like, maybe they have the talent to do this and I don't know enough about the virtual reality, you know, uh, team there. They clearly are really talented. So if that's going to be a leading part of it and everything pivots around this whole new world of VR, AR, like these kind of 3D worlds and new features, that's kind of cool. But I think when we kind of sit that next to all the other stuff we talk about on the podcast, the decentralized nature of it, and like the core part of Web3, from what I can understand, is 
taking power away from just like this one central organization that like makes 99% of all the profits and the gain. I don't know if that's going to be embraced by, you know, a big company like Facebook. 100%. Well, Jason Calacanis actually just tweeted, if you are in Web3, it's, he just like 10 minutes ago, or Meta, do not take money from Zuck. He just said he, his entire <laughs> history is just rugging people. Is what yeah. he just tweeted. Yeah. I, I mean, acquisition is the only way it feels like. Just be like, a Meta. A point. Your, your point below about place is, I think... A perfect way to think about it is like the you are asking people to like spend time somewhere and facebook instagram twitter they're like invisible interfaces like they're mm. just rails for you to like create culture on mm. so you you write you record you post the images but this is a visual interface that they are building that you are going to be the power behind which is not analogous to what they've been building it's, it's and a different model talk, completely right yeah, yeah if you're talking about building like a ground up culture mm. generally it's the users that design the stuff or make the content that that you know propels the growth of the platform like a tiktok like tiktok there is no interface on tiktok basically right it's like it it is just the the stuff that people make and that to me is like I don't know if the uh, maybe a, a couple couple of things to think about like the animojis. You remember the Apple animoji yeah. things? Like it was a kind of a cool like quirky thing for a second. And anybody who's still sending those now, I'm like, <laughs> the fuck? you know, it's weird. It didn't catch on, right? Because it's like a weird like I don't know. You get go into a whole diatribe about why that didn't work, but it's it reminds me of that, and it reminds me of the Nintendo Wii. Do you remember that? Like the Skittles game yeah. that you would get out and play, like at yeah, Christmas, yeah, yeah. maybe like every two years when you remember that you had a Nintendo Wii. <laughs> the boxing like, game. One, one of the one of the greatest selling uh, consoles ever, by the way, and it, it, it hit the zeitgeist really? perfectly. Wow, um, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, it, and that feels like it's like trying to bring back the Nintendo Wii. Yeah. In you know. Oh yeah, fair I don't enough. Know, Fifteen years later. Um. Yeah, I, d I don't know. It's, there's a, there's some like dystopian vibes to it too. Like you can imagine getting home and like your partner is just sitting there on the fucking sofa with a like thing strapped on their face. Like it's even weirder than being in a Zoom meeting and be like, oh yeah, I'll be a second, right? You're just in there, like. Well, I don't know if you guys saw that uh, the Black Mirror episode about the dude. He was basically playing this Street Fighter type game, but he'd just be going into the VR world oh, and, yeah, I did and see boning that. another dude. <laughs> but like the dude, the other dude was a female character. I mean, that's the reality, right? I mean, let's be 100% honest. Dude, I had a buddy who got a early version of uh, uh, Oculus and uh, he's like, yo, man, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. There's some creepy stuff in there. <laughs> I, your like, friend, Tron? Yeah, yeah, my friend? buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had your an friend. Oculus, by the way. Okay, actually, you know what? Let's uh, let's do this quick thing. I don't want to spend too much time on medicines we already talked about last week, but uh, let's compare it to some of the famous tech rebrands of all time, right? So we talked about Google last week. Bilal Zaidi worked at Google when they rebranded to Alphabet. Bilal, again, you're very confused by it, right? We can just talk about that quickly. A lot of confusion. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, at the time, it just felt like, why would you do this when you've got right. the number or one of the most recognized brands in the world? But in hindsight, I don't know how much of a difference it made. 
Well, you so the the I think a point that was brought up uh, by Ben Thompson, the tech writer, was like, so when you spin out Google and make it its own reporting division, and then you kind of throw all the junk away, and make it its own thing. It's good for the stock, right? People are like, okay, well, this business is freaking amazing. Here's all this dead weight that they're just kind of sealing off. The other thing that happened with that rebrand was uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page. That was their transition out of the company too, right? So yeah. that's in contrast to Facebook, whereas this is 100% Mark Zuckerberg founder-led rebranding, right? And, mm. and I, I talked, I touched on it earlier, but it's like, if you look at it now, founder-led, this is the last one. Facebook's the last one. This is the only company that can get away with probably what they're doing right now, right? A full rebrand because investors have been like, hey, you know, Zuck took us to a trillion. We trust you. They just announced... $50 billion a year in buybacks, or they'll do it in the next, I guess, 12 months. They're like, okay, that's kind of nice. It's like, he has credibility, right? And um, there's a whole segment of FinTwig. They just call it House of Zuck. It's just like, they're, they're believers. The same way that some people are believers in Elon, right? And fair enough, founder-led, he can turn this around. So I think, I mean, the most comparable example is when Steve Jobs came back in 1997 with Apple, right? Difference being, he spent 10 years out of the company building Next Computer, building Pixar, but he obviously came back, turned the company. I mean, the iPod is what really changed, turned the company around. But the first thing they did was an iMac, but they went, they turned mobile, right? They caught that entire wave. Like the, even before the mobile phone, they created the mobile experience with the iPod. So, I mean, you, could we look back in 20 years and be like, wow, Zuck just pulled off what Steve Jobs did? Like, you know, Maybe. 40 well, years I ago? I think it's a really good point. The one thing I was just going to say, though, the difference is, I don't know the numbers, but the number of people that are now on the internet versus the, the population of people that were buying, you know, PCs, obviously a huge number of people still, of course. But now, what is it, like three, four billion people on the internet? Right, four, right, right. And like, basically everyone uses either Facebook, or Instagram, or, you know, a couple billion people do or whatever. And that's why I think the stakes are so much higher for a company like, like Facebook, because it's not just about like selling a cool new product. You're basically pivoting into a whole totally. uh, new world, which most people don't even understand. So I think Apple did an amazing job of that because they, they, they did invent stuff, right? Like there was an MP3 player before, but iPod was its own thing. It was an iPod. You have 10,000 songs in your pocket and they, they're the kings of keeping it simple and you know really um, hammering home that brand one product at a time. Versus like a Google who has a hundred and Facebook, which has, what is it like, you know, uh, you know, multiple um, brands and platforms. And I think they say like seven different apps that have a billion yeah, plus family users. Of apps. Exactly. So it'd be, I mean, either way, I, I think it's it pretty is, you're right. It is much in later in the process and exactly. uh, it is a complete, because uh, Apple's always been about personal computing, right? It, it didn't matter what form computing was in. They're like, it's going to be more and more personal. And this is exactly what's happened, right? They've taken computing from your desk. They wanted a computer on everybody's desk. They've turned it into your pocket. And mm. now AirPods, watch, watch. they're getting closer and closer. Literally, that, that's TV. mission is make it as, as personal as possible. So, well... Uh, Great point. I totally agree with that. Uh, much the scale is very different. Uh, I think in business lore, though, is just like the Steve Jobs comeback is just like it's like freaking the Dark Knight, right? It's like in that level of a, oh, a, yeah. a, a narrative. Yeah. So the other, the last one is Microsoft, obviously. So mm. under Nadella, completely changed the company. They went from a Windows first company to a cloud first company. Windows first meant that hey, Windows is our core asset, and we will 
every other part of the business will revolve around Windows. And obviously, the problem with that is that it's not a very horizontal business. Right? Cloud is a way bigger opportunity than Windows, which is what Nadella came in, completely pivoted the company. And uh, that I think on a scale level, to your point, Bilal, that would probably be similar. To pivot the entire company from Windows to cloud would be comparable to what uh, a Zuck is trying to accomplish. But just and just one thing to add to that though, the difference is B two B versus B two C or like right, consumer right, right, facing. Right. Where like my mum needs to understand what metaverse is for her to well, use dude, this don't, in five don't years. Don't sleep you know? on uh, don't sleep on Facebook Workplace, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Actually, but anyway, no, really, I think that's an interesting discussion. Um, the only last thing I was going to add was kind of what um jack said about the talent i think that that's a key part of this is are they gonna make the brand sexy enough to get that talent to say oh for the next 10 years we want to build this crazy stuff and time will tell if they you know like microsoft i think did do a great job of like making it cool again within the circle of wanting to work there for a certain type of person anyway you know someone who's open to working in big tech they previously, for years, weren't looking at Microsoft the way they did in early 2000s. And then they definitely made a comeback in that way. Um, so I think that's one key part. And then the last point I mentioned earlier was the culture and the kind of cool factor. I know that sounds kind of like soft, but I think a lot of what we're seeing here is going beyond just like products being like the best utility product to something that's culture, culturally based. Right, you right. Know, and like luxury, like the same way Apple became a luxury product, right? It's not like the best Android phone wasn't as good as the iPhone like 10 years ago. Like in, a lot of people would argue a lot of the early Nexus phones were as good, if not better. But the brand of Apple always was superior. And like that became a problem for, for Google as well. So anyway, anything else to add on that, boys? Um, really interesting either way. My, my only last point would be I don't. I didn't watch the presentation. So, like, to what extent do you need hardware to participate in the new mm. version of Facebook? Would be the yeah, that's a good a point. trillion dollar question. <laughs> yeah, you mean like a virtual reality headset or something like that? Yeah, glasses. Oculus. I know they said something about smart glasses or whatever. And if that's the case, then that's a like that's a whole different huge animal, barrier, right? And yeah. and if it's not that, then what you change in the news feed to like a little you try and do like some some like 3d experience on a 2d screen with like your fingers instead of a controller or like a game Awful. interface it's just terrible like there's just no point in participating in it so like props for the massive vision but that's like a whole they don't have a yeah. supply chain in the same way that apple or whoever does right it's a, just an enormous undertaking so and i think the acquisition point though you mentioned earlier jack or i think you said it that to me is interesting because if there are companies out there that you could acquire that have that kind of core factor or they're emerging and and you're like oh okay we most of the world didn't know about this but they've got something going that could be an interesting way for them to do it at the same time with all the troubles they've had with anti-competitive stuff um and all the the, the problems they've had recently like, i don't know if they're buying any totally major companies soon well they have I mean? acquired a ton of vr companies actually and people have been like hey you guys should like where like they're saying basically the Department of Justice is 10 years behind. It's like you're prosecuting Facebook on social surprise, now, surprise. but these guys are buying up the next computing platform. The last thing, the last, last thing I want to talk about on this in less 30 seconds is Apple will win the glass game. This is, there's no just question in my mind. If you're trying to out hardware Apple, it's not, it's not going to happen. 
It's game over, right? I mean, that's the that's probably the big elephant in this room. Zuck is repivoting the company. Who's gonna win it if you're gonna make this a glasses and and kind of like personal hardware game, right? Apple's gonna win. Operating yeah. system, yeah, it's just everything. Like, it's just they already have the installed base. Yeah. The chips, they already have about. the installed base. Yeah, that's true. Um, anyways, we need to wait. have a segment of like a you know yeah, a thumbs rating up, thumbs system up. or something. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, hold on. Before we go to the next thing, if anybody's wondering why the lighting here is so good, it's because the good people at Elgato sent us lights. Watch they didn't even, show hold on. Biz. Yeah, they didn't even ask <laughs> us. Like this was not like, hey man, if we send you stuff, you have to say this. They didn't even ask us. Having said that, if anybody's ever read Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, one of the most powerful levers of influence is reciprocity. And I'll tell you something about that. I was actually reading that book when I was in Cambodia and I went to Angkor Wat, like a famous temple from the early, um, I think, 1100s. And I go in there. As I was reading that book, I just read the chapter on reciprocity. And the TLDR is if somebody gives you something, you feel very inclined to give something back. And I had just read that chapter. As soon as I walk in the temple, a Cambodian dude gives me a candle and I'm like, oh, no, it gives me a uh, one of those uh, scent things. knock it out of his hand? Yeah, no, no. He gives it to me <laughs> and I go, oh, thank you, man. And then he grabs my wrist and takes me to like a side room and he's like, okay, you put it in here and give me money. I was like, oh, you got oh me. God. I there feel, go. no, it's because I'm like, man, you gave this to me. I feel, but I'm like, bro, I just read Cialdini's book, man. You're not getting me today. I know, uh, sucker. No, but I know. Uh, hold on. Just last thing is on. I know uh, I have a good buddy. He's like, I won't accept a dollar from somebody else just because he knows how power, powerful reciprocity is. Literally, will not accept like a coffee or anything. And it, it's a good quote to live by. But having said that, thank you, Elgato. You never, you know, the lights are amazing, man. These are freaking amazing lights. So you got, okay. you got your setup too, yeah? Because I'm going to yeah. do a little, I don't know if you can you see my camera, Tron. Yeah, I'm using the camera. It's amazing, guys. It's uh, the face cam Elgato and the lights. But anyways, we're doing this well, for the people. We're not show, doing ads, Let me show the people real quick. Yeah, look at this. People. On and off. You can't oh, even look see him. Look, where's he gone? Yeah, He's where's back. Where, Where's Blah? There he is. Biz. He's back in business. All Blah's right, boys. S- okay, that's good. No, thanks, uh, Elgato, <laughs> for sending that to us. All right, boys, let's talk about inflation. This could be a whole episode on its own. Um, just to tee it up, Jack Dorsey, I'm not going to read out the full tweet. Essentially... In the last few weeks, he's been he he wrote something along the lines of "there's going to be hyperinflation," uh, something like that. Like it's kind of set. I think he said uh, it's already happening. It's already inflation is going to change everything. It's already happening. That's nearly exactly. verbatim, I think. All right, yeah, exactly. So that that kind of set a chain of events off where everyone and their mother was talking about it. Right, we had Elon Musk or um, Kathy Wood. Um, biology like a bunch of people so we're not going to read out every single person's thing but we want to talk about inflation because as it relates to web3 like one of the you know the biggest kind of reasons people um buy bitcoin nowadays is because people say that there's going to be high inflation and traditionally you would buy gold and nowadays um, bitcoin is digital gold because it's limited supply right so let's talk a little bit about inflation so we don't want to do economics 101 here, but just at a high level, uh, inflation is average prices going up over time, right? Um, having a little bit of inflation is not a bad thing, obviously. It's, it's okay to have like a few percent. It's good. It means the economy is growing. Growing, exactly. But when it starts hitting a certain point, maybe like beyond like five, six percent, like that's kind of where we're at right now. Hyperinflation is 50% a month. If you want to talk about hyperinflation. That's 50. That's hyperinflation. Yeah, that's like but I'm Venezuela, talking about regular inflation. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Regular inflation is like uh, 
two to th- right now it's about two to three percent year on year. Like a, a basket of goods, groceries, they usually take out energy because it's very volatile. But let's talk about the uh, standard needs that we have, right? Groceries, a day to day kind of services, and all these things that you need to just go about your life. And also wages, right? Like yeah, wages, big, wage inflation. Wages are a yeah. big part of that as well. So anyway, so that's kind of like yeah, there's normal inflation. Right. And then there's hyperinflation, like you said, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, where people are taking like buckets full of cash to go buy a loaf of bread. Right. right? Like that. So I think when people read his tweet, which was about hyperinflation, to be fair, a lot of people kind of laughed it off and said, okay, this is dumb. Like all of a sudden, this guy with a beard, uh, this shaman dude, is telling the whole <laughs> world like that is going to be hyperinflation. So we're going to discuss like how likely it is to, to ever be the case in a place like the US. Um, but yeah, I guess, I mean, let's just throw it out there. Like, what do you guys think? Like, was he being off his rocket or is he, does he have a point? I mean, the argument that a lot of people are making is he has access to Square's data, right? Square, small business, uh, interaction point for uh, commerce. Uh, he's got the payment portals. So they're saying, Hey, you know what? He's got access to information, which potentially could indicate that prices are going up. But I mean, there's, and then. I mean, you guys put it in the group, the Telegram chat group, right? Kathy Wood, uh, the famous fund manager for ARC, she did a whole rebuttal thread to Jack's point. And I actually kind of lean more towards her uh, her, uh, side, which is essentially like, actually like, you have to really think about where is the things that matter in our day-to-day lives and how much have those costs gone up or down, right? So she's talking about technological deflation and, you know, how much would you have paid to have access to the world's knowledge 20 years ago, Right. Well, now it costs zero. So that's deflation, right? Where are the deflationary things that are happening? Access to entertainment is now deflationary. I don't have to go to the theater, spend a hundred bucks on a night out to watch the brand new movie. I can watch it at home for 10, you know, $10 a month. So there's a, there's a very famous uh, and viral chart that went out. It was like, it showed what costs are going down and what costs are going up over the past 10, 20 years. And the ones that are service heavy, they require... Uh, a lot of Wait, human I think interaction. I've got it. I think I've got it, Trunk. Let me just. Oh, you got it. it? Pull it up, right? I think it's, so. Is this the it's one? Basically, yeah, exactly. So what the ones that are going up are um, healthcare, education, and uh, and childcare. The prices that are going down: TV, toys, computer software, uh, uh, telecommunications. So, like, you know, there are. There's when you talk about inflation, you have to describe what it is that's being inflated right now. So today, what are we looking at as inflation? You know, the cost of chips going into cars are going up. Uh, the cost of getting some groceries and food inputs are going up. So if you go to a restaurant, I've noticed it. My the restaurant prices I go to a lot of places are they've all been up 10, 20 percent. And a lot of this has to do with supply chain issues. Yeah. And and like specifically supply chain in for restaurants is like they've got a shortage of supply of workers, right? Like that's yeah, they have a, a shortage of supply of workers and food and inputs. So like you have to ask where these things are. And Kathy's whole point is actually like technological is technological innovation is causing a lot of deflation. It's gonna be even more with she says basically AI is widespread everywhere. So I guess it's like when Jack Dorsey's talking about hyperinflation, well, like what is he talking about? Is he gonna say that? a loaf of bread is going to be $100 next year. It's so vague as to be, to not communicate anything, right? Another thing about, and what the main criticism that he got, and with this I actually agree with is this, central bankers, the whole job of a central banker nowadays basically is to guide the market. So that's why when they have these Fed meeting minutes, like they meet, I think every two months, those are just, you know, people comb through those to see what they're saying, specifically because 
their job now is to guide their economy, right? The job of a, the U.S. central banker is to keep inflation around two to three percent and keep a certain level of employment. That's always a balance they're doing because if uh, if you if you raise interest rates, it's going to lead to unemployment because people are going to want to spend less and all that noise. But like the whole job of central bankers is to guide the population, guide investors. So when people are like saying, "Man, Jack Dorsey is saying going out there and just saying hyperinflation, not giving any rationale," you're scaring the psychology of people. And why that's dangerous is this. Inflation is in many ways a psychological phenomenon. And the reason why these things spiral out of control is because I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the grocery store and spend $2,000 and bid up everything because I think the price is going to go up next week. Right? Like this is a psychology that's happening. Like if you go to places that have real hyperinflation, like Venezuela, the reason why those things spiral out of control is because no, I'm going to buy all these potatoes now because and next the week, toilet I know paper. we went and through the toilet that paper, last year. Yeah. Right. Cause next week is going to be twice as much. So there's a psychology component to it. So that's the criticism. So those two things, I'm like, okay, is Jack right that maybe there's some supply chain, uh, supply strain, supply chain constraints that will lead to inflation? Yes. Maybe my Lululemon pants might be a little bit more expensive this year. Is my internet going to be any more expensive? Probably not. I'm going to still enjoy entertainment. And you got to be very careful when you do these things and how you manage and talk about it, right? It's because it, it does create the psychology. And then my last thought, the counter is if you lie about it and the meme that we've had over the past three months, the transitory inflation meme is like, if you lie about it and it comes out to be not transitory, now you've lost credibility as a government, right? To control prices. And now it works in reverse. People don't believe you anymore. And uh, we could talk about deflation, but deflation also has its effect, right? A deflationary economy is not good. It means no one's spending because they're expecting prices to fall next week. It's the opposite. And of there's that. austerity and all yeah, that sort exactly. of stuff, which we've seen examples of like that shrinking approach. But yeah, so I mean, this is a wider kind of macro discussion, but I guess to strip this away from his statement, what's coming to mind for me is, you know, the stuff we've talked about from episode zero was printing money at exponential scale, 20% of all dollars printed last year or whatever it was. That alone, just the increase in money supply should cause some form of inflation, right? There's more money circulating around. The interest rates are basically zero and uh, money is cheap, right? right. And you're Where's able the to... money going though, right? Some uh, Exactly. Where's the money going? We're seeing Shiba hit brand new highs. It's a $40 billion <laughs> asset now. No, but seriously, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is actually, this is, I mean, Jack, you could probably talk about this with Sailor. Like this is his, that was the, the key for him. That was the unlock. He realized that all this money was causing asset inflation, which means just to, just to stay on the treadmill, you had to gain 20% a year because the money supply was going up 20%, right? Like, Jack, mm. can you speak to that? Yeah. Full-on Fiat fan, that last yeah. segment. Love that it. Was full on. That was full-on. That was econ. CFA. CFA, CFA right fan there. coming through. Yeah. Like, I, I don't have a CFA, nor did I study economics. My full financial education has come from Michael Saylor's 12-hour <laughs> podcast. That's, that's even better, Goal right? analogies are much <laughs> better than e-commerce. Asset inflation. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think the I hadn't heard the... I saw that retweet of the, you know, talking about inflation can usher it into effect. And your explanation of it, Trung, was was spot on where right. like, people panic and they, you know, go out and buy stuff. I think um, the extra context that was added to that diagram um, of the things that where prices are inflating and prices are deflating, Balaji's uh, comment on that is like by far and wide the the top bracket 
is either like there it's like heavily regulated or there are state components or like governmental layers that exist within those health services, and education which, yeah, yeah which is like Actually, in america for, an absolute travesty for the most part right the price of that stuff like i'm i'm self-employed celia and i pay twenty five hundred dollars a month for health insurance which is man it's a it's salary outrageous. for a lot outrageous. of people you know I mean, it's insane for anyone, even for you, if you're... That's some good-ass healthcare, it, man. It's crazy. No, <laughs> yeah. no, it's not. No, it's no, not. It's ter- no, it's terrible. <laughs> it's awful. But, it's but, crazy. but those, like... Anyway, that's getting off into a whole different subject, but um, the, like, the necessities of things that inflate, like you say, like the, the price of energy or the price of a place to live, um, those things are the most concerning. Like if you're on fixed income and then you, you know your landlord says, hey, your, your rent's going up $1,000 a month because I know that you got X amount of stimulus money in the last six months. That's a phenomenon that happened too, right? Is There's, there's that component of it where there's more, more dollars competing for the same amount of goods or resources. And then there's the leverage component on the other side of it where if i'm you know if i have a certain amount of assets i can borrow money at one percent interest and then i can go and gobble up hundreds thousands of houses or whatever asset it might be i think the real estate is the most like brutal example when people are buying like real estate in the blackrock story right the idea that home ownership is so out of reach for is incredibly out of reach for a lot of people because they're, you know, people who have access to capital can leverage themselves buy real estate and like essentially guarantee a return on their money by renting out yeah. this thing for more than they're paying for they're it being because they have more by favorable terms. With five hundred billion dollars, basically, right? Yeah, and that's just like that is not like I think ethically that is a, that's a disgrace. Like that's just the idea of keeping on the treadmill and like the money that you earn losing purchasing power is like that's there's a there's a great sailor quote on this which is like <laughs> servitude is working exponentially harder yes for an asset that is getting exponentially weaker and yep. like i think a lot of people don't understand the economic implications of this but they feel it somehow right you feel like man how am i ever going to afford x how am I ever going to get on the property ladder? And, you know, I think we're, I can't even empathize with the most aggressive like cases of that, but I can imagine what that's right. like. And um, I had a, I had a point to make there. Um, you think about that. I'm going to jump in with something quickly. Yeah, and exactly what you touched on is uh, I, so I did actually experience an inflationary environment when I lived in Vietnam, nothing like hyperinflation, but I think, at our worst. So the basically the Vietnamese Communist Party had to devalue their currency a number of times. And I was, because I was an awful negotiator then, I was paid in dong, Vietnamese dong. So, so I was losing 20 to 30% of my salary like every other month. And, uh, but again, this is small beans. I'm very, by almost any measure, very privileged uh, just for the fact that I was born in freaking Western Canada, right? But uh, I did feel for like a couple of years where, you do feel poorer when there's an inflationary environment and you're paid in dong. And like, again, not woe is me, but like I, I, my, what I was paid in was going down repeatedly. Right. And I, that small taste I had, I could totally understand the psyche of like, okay, hyperinflation, this is ugly. But Trung, the thing is for you, you, 
understood what was happening, right? And I'm sure an average person in uh, Vietnam, maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe yeah. they did notice. Like, I don't, I can't speak for millions of Vietnamese people, but I'm sure like, it gets to a certain point where you're like, oh, but wow. Like, what is like, happening? It's like, yeah, yeah what's you're happening? Right. But the truth is most people, we're nowhere near that stage here, right? Like yeah. most people think everything's all right. They, um, you know, and like the bottom 50%, let's just say for the US anyway, in real terms in the last year since the pandemic have become exponentially poorer in you know purchasing power terms um because most of those people don't own any assets and for everyone else including people like us who own some assets whether that's real estate uh bitcoin property whatever um, or stocks or whatever all those things have been inflating in price a lot of that is to to do with this thing we're talking about right um asset inflation um and then the other thing i wanted to call out was balaji's uh tweet i've actually got it here he said the problem is that is that the state controls much of the physical world housing education and healthcare, but also ports utilities and the police so the next costs after soaring rent and medical expenses will be supply chain shocks power outages and spending on crime mitigation i thought that was like really well put and he does then eventually go on to say he agrees with kathy wood on the deflationary nature of technology like we just discussed before um but i think that's quite and jack that's what you'd mentioned before right which was a free market isn't controlling all those things right and there's still a limited supply of housing right and they're, they're not able to just make more houses overnight it takes many years to develop that and a focus on it and spending. Um, so like the biggest thing for me, I mean, again, I can only speak for myself, but in New York, like the price of rent has been insane after it dropped during the pandemic. A friend of mine who I just saw yesterday just can't find a place. Like the prices are so much higher. How much different? Before. 2X, 50 per- I mean, he's saying he, what he was paying previously, he's, his, his budget is now like almost double. And maybe because he's lived in a place that isn't New York, uh, like he was in Austin for a while and his standards have probably gone up, right? But like he's just like stuck and he's staying like month to month in a place right now because just the you know, the supply isn't there. And, and, you know, fair enough, like he's looking in downtown Manhattan, right? Like in these expensive places and anyone with money is trying to live there. So it's not like everyone's seeing that. But I just think like if I think of what I spend my money on personally, it's rent, it's food. It's entertainment, seeing friends, that sort of stuff. And then if you've got kids, of course, that's like the big thing, right? Um, so like, for me, all of those things are up for sure. Like It sounds like your friend's like, yeah, I was looking for like a, a view of Central Park. Uh, I want 80 floors up. <laughs> no, it's insane what the prices are now. <laughs> I was like, I wanted a place that Jack was staying in a couple of weeks back. Like yeah. how much? <laughs> this is outrageous. So Jack, hold on a second. We cut Jack off there. Jack, did you, were you able to gather that thought? Yeah, I was going to go into the like behavioral outcome of it, like Wall Street bets, Shiba Inu, you know, dog coin mania is is a byproduct of some of this too, right? Like this, I think the real troubling thing about it is that like it disincentivizes long term thinking in a lot of ways like if you feel as though you can't get ahead slowly and steadily then yeah. you're going to take bigger risks ah, and you're yes. going to make like you're going to like gamble with <laughs> toads yeah it, yeah crazy <laughs> stuff like stuff that would be considered like an absolute you know hedge case don't do that 10 years ago is now like well why not like my whole check is going to this anyway and i think 
maybe it ends up that people like start to investigate how money works and everybody like everybody has to a few people have written about this this idea of everybody has to become an investor in order to keep up right you just have to have exposure to the growth of something bigger than you in order to keep up and the yeah there's there's so many extreme views on either side of this where it's like um inflation is theft right this is the this is like a human rights issue and there's plenty of rabbit holes i could send people down on that side and then there's like you have to incentivize people to spend money to you know keep things going and you know uh stimulate an economy and things of that nature but this last couple of years is just such a um you know such a a one-off scenario where without naming any names i have people who are like oh the paycheck protection program for you know this business that has no overhead we can claim a hundred grand from of paycheck protection money right and 85 percent of people who qualified for that took that money because like oh why wouldn't i and then if you're in a position where you have more capital, you can then use that to your advantage to grow your business or to buy something that is a, is like scarce that then the rest of like you become a magnet for capital. And if you're on the other side of that equation, you're just you're just like the button on the treadmill is getting pressed. Yeah. It's going faster, the hill is getting steeper and there's you know a lot of people singing this song. It's like you have to be exposed to asset growth that is not like trying to get wealthy or trying to get secure by holding cash in your bank account. I think however conservative you are at this point, nobody agrees with that, I don't think. Or a lot of people would say, you know, objectively, that is not a good strategy at this point. Well, uh, Bilal, so Jack brought up the, the point that he uh, was on the tip of his tongue uh, when we uh, so rudely cut him off was that uh, brought up a great point. Is like when you're in this kind of dynamic, uh, it kind of takes away long-term thinking, right? It's yeah, like definitely. you're watching everything around you and you're like, okay, what's the next dog meme coin that I can make like 100x in six months for? Nobody's thinking long-term anymore, right? And I mean, this is a, it's such an interesting point because Maybe we look back in 20 years and be like, how warped all that $4 trillion that was printed that year, like changed the psychology of that entire generation. It's like, what are the effects going to be? We're not going to have builders anymore, people that are willing to do the long-term stuff. It could have really, really bad effect. I think that's a great point as well. I didn't say that, but the disincentive to build, right? Where it's just like, oh, I could put my head down and build something and like, churn out and try and acquire a customer a day and take my business from i mean even my experience building a business three years ago when i started if all of this stuff had been going on around me i'm like why am i messing around for a hundred bucks a day (laughs) right a thousand dollars a month i'm like grinding my ass off to try and build this thing and everyone else is just like kicking around on discord and throwing a hundred bucks here and there and uh seemingly seemingly crushing it everyone shares their wins and right, you know right, right. a lot of people aren't yeah, beating true. the market it's all nonsense but it's like <laughs> it's a huge amount of human potential that's going down the, the it's drain such a in great the process. point man it is a little bit depressing when you think no, about it no, but it's the, when you were talking about that it kind of made me think of like the wider issue is of people feeling like no one's there to help them like especially young people right if you're young like if you were a college student 
paying mad money to be like I had friends or like um, nieces and nephews and like friends of friends have little brothers and sisters. They were paying so much money to go to NYU or whatever in New York where they're not even able to see anyone and they spent all that money. They'd already enrolled and they're paying the same amount of money uh, to do these Zoom classes, right? Like honestly, and I'm not like anti-university completely, but like just in that form, it's daylight robbery, right? Like you're-, you're Blow is 99% anti-university people. Yeah, yeah that 1% fully. is left. <laughs> it's 1% is left. But no, it's that feeling. And also like the social stuff, like people feel like, oh, well, no one's looking out for me. Like I'm going to have to look out for myself. And in a far extreme example, I'm sure we've experienced this with people that we know of met, it gets to like the the bad side, which is, oh, well, I'm going to just do whatever I need to do because I need to feed my family or I need to, you know. And honestly, like even me growing up, I felt like that at times as well, like where I wasn't like super poor or anything, but we were kind of like middle working class. And you're just like, okay, well, no one's going to help me get into this place. So I'm just going to have to do what I need to do. And and thankfully for me, I was like never doing anything illegal or anything, but definitely people that I went to school with and were friends with would take that past the the bad line. You know what I mean? And I just feel like that sort of thinking is going to become more prevalent when you feel like, you know, this is in the UK when you've got free healthcare and some social support in America, you don't have anywhere near the same support. So I don't know, man. I think it's a bigger point beyond just like the inflation. And look at this. We got real macro today. We got real (laughs) philosophical with, uh, you know, we have, you know, at NIA, we have a lot of fun with these random kind of coins and NFTs. People, let's start building things, okay? Let's build (laughs) real things that your grandchildren will be proud of. We approve this message, man. That's a great point. For real. All right, boys. Was there anything else? I mean, the only thing I had written here notes in the notes was... Did we already talk about Square's data set or did we bring we touched up that on point? it. Okay. We touched on it. Okay, cool. So yeah, just that, that point was uh, that Square has access to all this data and he might not be making this all up. He could be seeing certain things because Square has access to all this stuff. The other thing was Flexport. I don't know if this is worth bringing up, but Flexport, uh, do you want to talk well, about it? We actually, we can talk about it super quickly because we talked about the supply chain. Because it's about chain. supply chain. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's expand so, on that a bit. So Ryan Peterson, the CEO of Flexport, which is a uh, it's a supply chain startup. They're basically trying to be the operating system for a global trade. It's a very interesting company. Uh, but uh, he's a very active uh, uh, executive in the sense that when something's going down, like, for example, Flexport opened up taco trucks at the at the ports, right? To kind of feed the workers at the ports. Gangster move, man. Love yeah, it. gangster move, right? And then he wrote this really viral thread about a, like five days ago, maybe a week over the weekend. And uh, basically, there's this huge backlog of ships in California, uh, in Los Angeles specifically, trying to unload goods into LA ports. This is part of the supply chain issue. There's just so many... Uh, goods backed up that they can't even unload them in time. And Ryan Peterson is just like, wait a second, what's going on here? So he like chartered a boat, went around, looked at all the cranes, the ports, uh, talked to all the people involved. And what he found out was there's some really actionable things that could be done. Is like some of the cranes were not, were being idled because in Long Beach County, the rule was you can only stack these containers to uh, containers high. And he's like, why can't we just do that four, five, or six high, right? You're tripling the capacity. And then that was like, that was the one that he actually put in the tweet thread. He's like, here's some solutions. He's like, 
executive order from the president of the United States making uh, it okay to put six high containers. The Long Beach uh, County mayor actually implemented that. He didn't credit Peterson, but this happened shortly after the threat, right? And then I guess a big, two big takeaways from this is that I had was there is a problem with the supply chain, uh, it, but it's very addressable. And Jack touched on it uh, from the Bellagio point. He's like, what's holding it back are these regulations, right? Certainly these regulations are in place for safety precautions. But as the mayor of Long Beach said, it's like, we will allow four to five container highs as long as it meets these safety parameters. But there add up dozens of these small regulations and you have a situation where you could really relieve kind of the supply chain bottleneck in these kind of ports in America. It's not going to solve everything, but I thought that was an instructive example of, you know, a, a fast moving, you know, these tech executives get chirped a lot for being like, hey, you know, they're so pie in the sky and they think everything can be optimized. Well, it turns out this one could be optimized, right? And when they're right, they should get credit. And uh, the last thing I'll put on that was somebody put up a tweet was basically a California legislature, a le- le- legislator the day before Ryan Peterson's tweet thread had said, this is my solutions to the uh, bottleneck crisis. No more boats are allowed in the port of LA. That was their solution. Is that, you know what I mean? It's like, such a wrong-headed, non-engineering way to think of things. So that was a very salient example. But uh, I, I, I wanted to ask Jack about this because this is something that's popping up now. They're saying that a lot of e-commerce businesses are about to get smacked in Q4 because it's not, this is, you know, for the last 10 years, you've been working e-commerce five years. It's just been a tailwind of like, you can hit any supply you want. You're just trying to generate demand, right? It's like, how do I generate demand? Jack's on Twitter all day tweeting out his new swag, right? That's how he's generating demand. But what happens, this is probably the first time you're facing the other side of it. Well, what happens if you can't meet the demand that's being generated, right? So Jack, are you seeing any of this? And like, man, how, what's happening with kind of the business here on the merch? The first, the first, uh, response i have thematically for the episode is you just sell swag in the metaverse mate <laughs> but more seriously go. no but i, I mean, mean you really you are though you, that's, you the way forward, mate. that's what's going to yeah. happen like i think that's an interesting i don't know if meta is going to be the uh <laughs> where the milan fashion week of the metaverse is going to happen but it is going to happen right there's there's all of this stuff that if your identity is 80 percent digital in the same way that like we're at the we're at the very rudimentary the rudimentary signaling phase of digital identity where yeah. you buy a jpeg and that's your profile picture but there's a long way to go in the same way that we eventually evolved to carry $25,000 handbags or whatever people spend their money on uh in the real world uh the stuff that we've been doing hasn't been that heavily impacted right now but um Celia's uncle actually has a um they import stuff from Italy all the time because they're building houses and like marble cabinets, all that kind of stuff. And uh, apparently the cost of a container has gone up, I don't know, four or five times. And the oh time in which it takes to deliver it is two, three X out. And then the ripple effects that that has on, you know, a, a project like building a house. Yeah. So like we're like really small stakes, like a, a sweatshirt going to one, one address is like, oh, it's going to be late and then it comes but if you think about like you know just in time production and all of the dependencies of some supply chain that's any more complex than make the thing send it to someone 
it has this just incredible ripple effect. Totally. That's like, I was going to ask you, Trung, about the labor market, but that like, you know, a job that you could say, hey, the stuff's going to be here. Crew needs to be there on that day to install it. Now it's like, don't know when it's going to be there. We need to put the, we need to put it on a hold. When it gets there, we need to do it really fast because now the client's been waiting next amount of time. And this is the only example that I have like personal exposure to. There has to be, this is happening in every single industry that has any dependency on a part that exists in another part of the world. I used to work at Honda in uh, my hometown in the UK. In the factory, right? The in the factory, right? In the factory, yeah. And the, the, the logistics of that thing, it was just absolutely mind-blowing. Like a roll of uh, metal would come into the factory and it would come out as a Honda Civic. Legendary. And they had... They had so, all so of amazing. these obviously satellite places, which I worked at a few of those part time where you'd be like, you know, the door, like the wheel thing for the window comes into one and they, like the dependencies that exist to build new cars, just mental. Does your former manager at Honda have any idea how much money you make from NFTs? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't think you remember my name, or like it was that was a pure that was a real factory man. Like that was like a teenage kind Honda? of a weekend job thing. That was like a teenage weekend job. No, it was a full time job before I went to university. I did six days a week. Holy yeah. smoke! Do you talk exactly. to anybody still from that well, Honda factory? We need to tease this out, brother. Yo, we got, I, he's got some more stories for oh that. Oh my goodness, yeah. bro! We gotta get that out of him. In a couple okay, of hold on, hold on, hold on. You still okay? You still have some friends? I'm not done with you, man. Hold on. So what? Okay. <laughs> Trunks what? in the zone. He's okay. leaned in. Jack Butcher wakes up on Monday. What time are you waking up? How are you getting to the factory? What does the day at the factory look like? So you know, uh, they had. I think the shift started at. 5.50 in the okay. morning. I lived about 20 minutes away and you get a 60 pound bonus for every uh, for clocking in on time for every shift or 10 minutes before every shift. Well, 60 pounds, how much was that of a day's wage? That sounds very material. Yeah, that yeah, sounds significant. quite a lot. 50%? 50% of a day's wage? Uh, probably up there, yeah. Probably close to that. Um, and they would frame it as like every minute the line goes down, you're costing us 12 grand. Because that's oh how much a car goodness, was selling for. Dude. So that's like what they're beating into you in the uh, in the training class. And how then many you people get, arrived on time? Everyone. I mean, okay. it's like, amazing. It's very rare that <laughs> so anyone like it everyone works. wants that beer money, man. Nobody's. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you get there early. Out. You get there ten minutes early. You get the okay. What's next? They play a song, and you're supposed to stretch. It's like a, a Japanese <laughs> ritual thing. So they <laughs> pipe, pipe a song into the. Into it's like the, the seven dwarves in the Snow White, yeah, man. Yeah, like freaking yeah, literally walk yeah. into the mines. Okay, <laughs> this is amazing. Okay, they, what's everyone. Next? Everyone has the white, uh, you have a white overall with the name on it. Doesn't like the CEO, everybody wears the same stuff. So it's, that's kind of cool. And, um, you could tell how experienced someone is by how gray the suit is. So if you walk in with the like starched, uh, brilliant white suit, you're getting, uh, they used to do sheep calls. So you get the bat whenever you're, cause you're young, like just started. And then your shift, man, you did like, we did 370 cars a day, I think. And you'd be uh, on one process, so it'd be like I worked on the like the mud guard, like the mud shield on the bottom of the car, fifteen bolts or so. Oh my! And you God. just do that three hundred and seventy times a Straight day. Straight Henry Ford, right? Just like just the no line. Doubt. Work on the line. 
Um, that's amazing. Okay, dude. So, and afterwards, you did that all day. How long was lunch? What did you eat for lunch? And then what did you do after work? I, I love this shit, man. Lunch, I think, Hot was probably for about lunch, 40 man. minutes. And they had, um, they had, uh, no, they had a, a morning break. It was 15 minutes. And then a lunch that was 40 or 45 minutes. On the morning break, I get what they call a, um, a breakfast bap which was uh, bacon and sausage Yo. and egg in a, in a roll. It's fantastic. Delicious, right? And then uh, for lunch, I'd have Japanese curry. You know, it's like... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the katsu don. Oh, that's oh, good. Oh, my goodness, bro. Subsidized. Oh, it was like £1.30 a plate or something. Oh, it was, it was incredible. Wait, oh, my goodness. Okay, sounds like so, a good life, man. Yeah, sound like that was not bad, brother. And it then after good. work, did you get beer six days? How many days a week were you getting a beer with the boys? You know what? Actually, that time, because I, I had, um, that was a year before I went to university, and all my all my good mates went to university. Um, a year before you? A year before me. So most, actually, my material memory from that period of time, I would go home and work on my design portfolio to try and get into Unreal, university dude. next year. Yeah. Dude, you're literally, you're basically like Eminem from 8 Mile. Like you were working <laughs> at the factory. <laughs> That's what I was thinking as well. Oh you're my working God, at that the visual. factory, going back to the home, eating mom's, mom's spaghetti. spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then just writing your rhymes. Oh my God. That's amazing, bro. Mental. I, Good times, man. I, I will say this. So the, so I'm 36 years old. The most honest work I've ever done in my life is I did construction for two months. Oh and my God. I, okay, but it's the same, right? But it's not that much different with Jackie. But the whole point is like, I got there, never late. I got there 8.30 every morning. It was an eight hour, it's a full eight hour day. It's not like now where I can break off and go on Twitter for an hour, right? Well, you could it's do like, a podcast yeah, during the day. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like a full eight hour day, uh, 30 minute lunch. My job for those six weeks or whatever, two months I was doing, I was like digging out someone's basement, right? Like, I told my wife, it's like the most honest work I've ever done because it was literally eight hours a day. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like 15 bucks an hour, eight hours a day. Like that was your job. There was no dicking around. And then the last thing I'll say about that is like, when people ask me like, oh, what are you going to do with your kids? Like, what's the plan? It's like, I need my kid to do something like that. They need to know how, quote unquote, they need to know the comparisons. Like that could be your life. That's fine if you want that, but you need to know that like, that's what real, you know, blue collar work looks like, which is fine if you want to do that. Not, no problem at all with that. It's like, just know that that is what it is. And it's real. It is real work, right? It's like, this is why we, we talked about a couple episodes ago. It's like, you have marketing departments with 200 people. Like how much of that is real work, right? Me digging out someone's basement. Like it's maybe it's just one person's house. That's as real as it gets. For real, yeah. Jack's got Jack's got a few more. Maybe we'll save them for another segment, like worst jobs or something. But uh, Jack, when you came to boys. New York, I remember you telling me the story as well, <laughs> like the sleeping on some guy's sofa for ages and like yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. Goodness, ridiculous. Bro. Like I don't know how much of that you're allowed to share or what, but um, <laughs> yeah, you have to maybe maybe think through in your head. Well, here, <laughs> listen, blah blah blah. What is uh, the most blue collar job you've ever? I done? mean, honestly, for me, man, like. I, I don't know. It wasn't like as much physical labor, but I did like these ridiculous, like I remember traveling two hours on like three buses, three to four buses um, to do like fucking tele sales, like on a, on a phone. Like when I was like 16, <laughs> sell, it was crazy. Have I ever told you this before? It was selling uh, no, um, kitchens. 
It was selling kitchens on the phone. <laughs> Yo, ridiculous. you should work for Celia's family. I know, I know. I, I know, literally, I go in there and you read a script. And then after a few calls, I'm like, this script doesn't work. So let me go off script. <laughs> and then I eventually got it to work. And they called me upstairs and like, you got to stick to the script. And I was like, all right, this isn't, this isn't going to work. How, this is how Bilal gets his podcast guest. <laughs> <That's>, Hi. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then that other one, I say it was face to face. I thought I was doing like an internship. Uh, market and internship I was applying for I turned up in my suit again uh, when I was about 18 uh, in Oxford Street in London and uh, they're like all right yeah we're about to go out now and I'm like go out like, I thought this is an interview and I thought it's marketing they said oh yeah it's 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 word of mouth marketing so I'm like oh you mean sales all right so More we go outside dog. Get door exactly to door. and and the job was to go and approach random people on Oxford Street like one of the busiest streets in London and sell them a haircut uh, like a, a woman's haircut, like a 200 pound haircut. And oh. also, yeah, I, I made a big mistake that day. Uh, you, 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 calling someone. I learned my, I learned my mistake. Yeah. So they, they wanted a, they wanted a Pakistan dude, a Pakistani British dude to go sell 200 pound. So dumb. It was so dumb. And then I also, and to be honest, cause I started that e-commerce thing while I was 16. So I had that already making some money. I was doing this to get like real experience. So I kept yeah, yeah, going yeah. to all these things. I didn't, I wasn't really there to get lots of money, but I was like, man, this is so dumb. Like I'm not, I don't want to do this ever again. But um, yeah, so that's probably, yeah, those were two pretty bad ones. But honestly, I'm quite lucky. I didn't do like, I didn't have to do like construction or something like that. Yeah. Cause well, I, fair enough. there's nothing wrong with it. Like you said, no. but yeah, I, yeah. I'm the worst man. Like, like yeah. it took, you can't see, I've got this little bed on the corner on the wall here. It took me like two weeks put that together <laughs> it was, i suck too man i'm not good at that shit fair enough man all right anyway I got one let's other get... one i'll tell oh, go another go time go i worked at an industrial shredders that that was that was a uh, <laughs> like we had a massive contract with the uh the police force in the uk so uh it was a night shift and you would oh, get like these paper. trucks the trucks come in and they just dump bags oh my of like God. evidence and shit like that evidence. and you just yeah you just have to sh shred it like sweep it, into it on fire. what's the worst thing that could happen if you just light it's, it all on fire it's called um <laughs> they're big company um they have them over here you see the trucks iron mountain you oh seen yeah those trucks? i've seen those they're massive yeah. industrial shredder Dude, hold yeah, on. that was let, a good one let me see how big of a company they are actually. all right let's let's pull it back we've got a couple more things to put if, if you're still with us if you enjoy that little segment let us know but we'll get back to the last thing on inflation before we move on i just want to ask you guys how do you think this plays out i mean because beyond the hyperinflation thing like where do you think this nets out essentially like i know the easy answer is in the middle from what they both said maybe that's both your answers but like the, the the question I have is, I've been trying to figure this out is with the continued printing of money that to me just has to cause inflation. Like I don't, I don't think it's 5%. I think it's higher. Um, like where does it, at some point that you can't do that forever. So let I'm curious, give, like, uh, where do you think that answer. nets out? If I, if I had to give one answer where I have pretty reasonably high uh, confidence, it is, and we've talked about it. We touched on it a couple of times already. It's the wage inflation we're talking about and something if you, if from an econ 101 perspective, the tricky thing about wage inflation is this. With an orange, if there's an inflation and uh, price goes up on an orange, you can mark it back down in a couple of weeks. Wage inflation is really tricky because if you give somebody $15 to $20 mm. an hour, they ain't going back. Wage inflation, they call it sticky and it's sticky for a reason. It tends to stay. So what is going to happen is this. And, and Jack touched on it with the employees at uh, his uh at Celia's family's contractors, they want more money. 
they're going to have to get more money because the labor market's tight. So they're going to get more money. And that, those, those higher wages, they're probably going to stay. So when we're talking about inflation, wage inflation is a very uh, permanent kind of thing. Yeah, it's and hard where, to reverse. Right. And then this is where my high confidence comes in. So if, I, if I'm just doing pure logic train, if I think wage inflation is ne- definitely coming in the next 12 months, and I, I think it's a pretty high possibility it is, that means wage inflation, uh, it's sticky. It's going to stay. What's going to happen? Companies are going to start automating like crazy, man. It's going to start making sense for them to automate. We're starting to see it. We've seen it over the last couple of years. You go to a freaking grocery. You got to beg your own groceries. You know, yeah, you go to some fast food chains now. You got freaking robots making your food. It incentivizes people and companies to invest in these robots. And then the third part of that is like, okay, does that mean everybody's going to lose their job? Well, actually, hopefully what happens is that people don't have to do these more menial tasks now. And if there's a great unlock, Maybe it's a metaverse. Maybe this is Zuck's grand vision in the end. There's another place for people to express themselves as humans and, you know, make money. But yeah, I think wage inflation leading to more automation and then other ways for people to make money, which is maybe more human and taps into the emotions more. That's where I see it happening. So you're basically saying there is no second best is going to be the case. <laughs> all right? so, yeah, no, no, that, that, I think that's a really uh, good answer, actually. Jack, do you, do you have any thoughts on that, mate? Yeah, I think... Uh... I agree with Trung, and I think UBI, unrealized capital gains tax, is coming. <laughs> it's coming, bro. That's got to be a reason why the labor market is tight in some ways too, is like the accessibility of speculation and the, you know, 100 re-rolls of the dice. There, I just think the capital that is, that is uh, like sloshing around in markets that are now global right it's 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 a very different scenario to try and capture tax revenue from when people aren't like paying on a w-2 their federal income tax it's like it's going to be way more complicated way like we're only just beginning to crest this like investing as pop culture coinbase is the number one download app on uh, the app App store Store. you see that yesterday and they changed Uh, the title to say trade bitcoin eat and shiba yeah it's oh so for the search because people are searching how do i invest in shib yeah so uh amazing point by the way i didn't I had not connected those two the Balaji point that everybody's going to be an investor you know like uh in the 21st century so you start taxing that base, right? If labor isn't, if labor is no longer the main uh, a, a job, you know, day to day labor that we kind of know it, and investing is, you bet your ass, this capital gains taxes are coming for everyone. Yeah, ca- tax speculation, and I think, like, man, I don't know. I think the IRS is already like ten years underwater on figuring out how to, um, how to, yeah audit people's tax liability and like the like people's income is getting that much more complicated right i think the the w2 even contractors people who work multiple jobs and you know maybe they're pulling money in and out of coinbase or Robinhood or whatever it is i don't think the majority of people even understand how to file tax yeah so you saw this other like we're going to start monitoring bank accounts of 600 dollars or more or transactions of, do you see that we're going to like, see that banks were going to have to report every oh transaction God. on a account Above that holds $600 amount. or more. Bros, come that's to Canada, every, man. Come to Canada. Get every, out of there, bro. Yeah. 
but I think they see it like the writing's on the wall, right? It's like this is we're gonna have to increase our visibility into yep. the money supply in order to try and rake back uh, the money a supply bit. we created. Right, right. It's just crazy, man. I think it's uh it's wild times. And the, the US is still like the North Star, right? All of this, I think that was a uh in one of Jack's doomsday replies, he's like, as goes the US, so goes the world. Dude, so cryptic. So cryptic. Yeah. All right. The last thing I'll say is, um, yeah, I, I don't know if you have you guys watched this famous video from Ray Dalio. It's thirty minutes on like how money yeah, works. Yeah, how the or debt machine works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, we don't have time to like go into the whole thing, but what he talks about, I, I recommend it. I think it's a pretty good summary of like short term and long term debt cycles. Um, but I'm just looking at what I wrote here. There were there's basically like four different ways that you move, like that you can affect the economy. There's there's cutting spending, reducing debt, redistributing wealth, and printing money, right? Yeah. And and basically, like they normally happen in waves because some of them are inflationary and some of them are deflationary. So I think I think eventually we're going to get to the point where we're going to have to like you know like uh, suppress or like what's the word um, not inflate like deflate basically. And I, we've seen it in other countries. Like some countries were already doing austerity measures, like in the UK that happened. Um, and I just think like long, long term, like we're going to this, someone's paying for this, right? Like we've had an abundance of, of money and zero interest rates has been really, really good years for, uh, asset prices and stuff like that. Um, generally I feel like positive about a lot of that stuff, but at the same time, I do think like eventually it, it's not, you, you don't get free ride. You know what I mean? So whether that's our kids or their kids, are paying crazy taxes in the future right. or interest rates are at crazy uh, high levels in 20 years and, and they're going to look back and be like, oh, they used to get money for free and they were buying Shiba coins with it. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't seem that unlikely to me. So uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I think it's I think it probably is in between those two things. But my general take is that inflation is probably is going to be heating up for a little bit still. No, but uh, I just want the last thing I want to add was that I totally agree with you. Is like somebody's going to pay for this eventually. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? Completely. Uh, uh, one more thing I was going to say about labor market. I got a couple of friends who run agencies with international workforces, right? And before COVID, there was a huge disparity in pay based on where people lived. And now it's like, well, you can't pay somebody. You can't pay somebody in the Philippines yeah. a fifth of what you're paying somebody in New Zealand or Australia because they live in the Philippines. They're doing the same job. And now your employee that's coming to the office every day isn't anymore. So I think we talk about this in crypto, but it's not even really crypto. It's just like the the um, the sort of liquidity of the internet as it as it pertains to talent really changes all of this stuff too it's like your tax base your tax base lives in america but the way they earn like they're either like investing in global markets or they're working for global businesses it's like uh you know it yeah, definitely levels feels the playing like field in that way it levels the playing field but also like if you live in a country where the the uh cost of living is like really you're gonna high. get you're gonna get you can live really well in some places and in other places as it balances out like you know everybody that's fat and happy in the first world country is like oh shit it's not as easy i can't just like 
go to work and LARP for 38 hours a week and then bang out a couple of emails you, and collect you ain't, my check. You ain't LARPing in construction. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, no, you can't no, LARP no. digging out someone's basement. Yeah, I think we, we're starting to see, like obviously globalization and like the internet showed us other people's worlds a lot more. People travel more and see the world a little bit more. But now we're forcibly going to see it in a, in a lot of industries where you, like you just said like the wages aren't necessarily going to be paid because at the same level because you live in new york versus you know uh, the philippines or whatever um and and even like with when i moved within google from dublin to london and new york i remember like the pay you're doing the same job and the pay changed based on where yeah. you lived and london and new york was one of the worst moves you could make oh sorry it was one of the best moves you could make because london you were just criminally underpaid and it still costs a lot of, uh, to yeah. live there versus moving here you get like a, a nice bump right um and the the thing is though like we get all of these benefits like the iphone in our pocket like we get that for a thousand dollars because we just completely oblivious or just ignore the fact it's made by you know like really cheap labor or in some cases worse than that uh, and we just all kind of get on with it and say, oh, yeah, yeah well, that's cool. That's just how we live here. But like, the, it's harder to ignore when you actually see it. You know what I mean? So I think there's going to be more examples of that when you're having a meeting with people from all around the world. If you're working in a small 20-person startup or something and they've actually got half the people being paid a similar amount. But there's this move where a lot of companies are paying, uh, you know, like you said, like just the same amount depending on the job. Um, but in most cases, that means the people who in the Philippines are now getting paid way more versus like the price, like your salary in the US going down dramatically because they still right. need to retain you. So I think overall, that's a good thing. Um, but anyway, we're yeah, going to need some Bilal Dublin stories soon. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely, man. I'm all for that. Let me just add this. Iron Mountain made $4.5 billion last year. So, uh, Jack... <laughs> Huge business, man, shredding papers. Um, they, uh, they have other information management, but um, I can finish if you guys want. The the last thing I wanted to touch on was just also inflation related since we went so deep today. Jack talked about how much he's paying for uh, healthcare. And uh, I'll do a fun fact fan because we haven't done it today. But uh, why is it that in the United States that healthcare is so tied to employment? It, it comes from World War II. During World War II, there were price controls and and labor uh, wages controls. So like, you know, you're building tanks and sh aircraft carriers to go fight the Nazis and the Japanese. They kept the price wages at certain levels, right? So like if, if you had this national emergency and the labor's demanding more money, they probably could get it. So they're just like, okay, we're just putting a price controls on how much you can charge for things and wage controls. So basically the way a lot of employers got around that was like, if I can't offer you more salary, I'm going to offer you health benefits. And basically that's what happened after world war two It's like health benefits got fused in with corporate jobs. And that's why now, obviously you guys have been through it when you're trying to find somewhere to work in America. One of the first things you get is like, Hey, what is your health insurance package at this corporation? And that's the reason why. Anyways, yeah. that's it. <laughs> History Professor Fan is back. Love it, man. Love it, mate. Yeah, that was a good discussion, boys. I think we can wrap it up. I know we wanted to talk about uh, Formula One and NFTs, but we can uh, share that. Was that was crazy. That was great, man. I did not expect to go that deep on inflation with you guys. No, that was really good. Yeah, I think we, uh, 
I think we have some investment advice to give, which I will keep in my head. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough, man. Yeah, just listen to the Sailor series, I guess. But no. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything else, boys, before we wrap up? No, we're good, man. I'm good here, Jack. That was great. No, yeah, that was good. fun. All right, boys. Yeah, anyway, uh, as always, this is not investment advice. This is for entertainment and uh, educational purposes only. And uh, we will see you next week in on the podcast. Yeah, peace out, guys. Thank you.